Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Dr. Bernard delivers an impactful message this week on the four pillars of a blessed life. I want to share some things with you to encourage you and strengthen you in your relationship with God, also in your relationship with other people. I'm sharing with you an introduction. I do part two today and continue tomorrow morning. And it's something that I've come to after 40 years of ministry. This year, I've already also celebrated four decades of ministry pastoring, um, my wife and I. And, you know, you learn things and you begin to clarify what the essentials are in a relationship with the Lord and growth and development. So, there's a book, the next book that is coming out, and it's also four things. Um, you're familiar with the book that I wrote, Four Things Women Want from a Man. And if you're not familiar with that book, you need to get that book. <laughs> it'll save your marriage. It'll, it'll actually save your life because it'll help you understand how to make better decisions when it comes to relationships that you're going to enter supposedly for a lifetime. But the new book that I'm working on, and we're trying to get it out by September, uh, it talks about four things that you need to be convinced of in order to have a healthy relationship with God. The title of the book, which I will give you credit for, because we were wrestling with the title for the book, what I just said to you, an explanation of it was a little long. So when I got the text uh, yesterday, um, our staff needs to know the title of your message. You forced me to create a title for the book. So I want to thank you, City Harvest, for giving me the title of the book. And this is the first time that I'm publicly announcing this. And the title of the book is The Four Pillars of a Blessed Life. So I thank you for that inspiration. And as long as the editors and the publisher doesn't uh, change it, (laughs) that's what we'll be working. But it's true that as I have traveled around the world, ministered to congregations, spoke with Christian leaders, but also as I observed my own congregation, too often Christians don't have a healthy relationship with God. And that comes out of misinformation, maybe sometimes a lack of maturity. But what I find most, it comes from a lack of four essential things that you have to be fully convinced of. Faith is being convinced of something. That's why faith is a Conviction. And convictions are things that are unchangeable and non negotiable. Convictions grow, strengthen under pressure. So faith is a conviction. Faith is a set of things that you are convinced of. And it's that absolute confidence that gives faith 
the substance it needs to support you as you wait for the thing that is not seen to materialize. And that's essentially what Hebrews is saying when it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith in God is absolute confidence in God's power, God's wisdom, and God's goodness. And let me redesign the order of that. Faith in God's wisdom first, then his power, then his goodness. Because his wisdom governs his power. His wisdom governs his goodness. God is good. God is benevolent. So faith is absolute confidence in God's wisdom, his power, and his goodness. There are four stewardship responsibilities that God gives to every human being. Stewardship over number one, our time. Number two, stewardship over our talents, our God-given abilities and gifts and talents. Thirdly, stewardship over our treasury, what that time and those talents produce. Sometimes that treasury is monetary, most often it is not money, but assets that we possess. And number four, God has given us stewardship responsibility over our relationships. So we have stewardship responsibility over our time, talent, treasury, and our relationships. And stewardship responsibility means that we have to manage those things and we will be judged by how we manage those four things. So as Christians, when we come before the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be judged for sin. That's already taken care of. But we will be judged. We will be examined about the life that we live and how we managed our time. Beautiful passage in Psalm 90 where it reads, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might apply my heart to wisdom. It means give me the wisdom to manage, to steward my time carefully, effectively, productively. So stewardship is a responsibility because we enter the world with nothing and we leave with nothing except what we leave behind, which is called our legacy. The impact, the imprint that you leave on human society and the kingdom of God. 
and we all leave a legacy of some kind. So we have four stewardship responsibilities, stewardship over our time, our talent, our treasury, and our relationships. And sometimes, in fact, more often than not, it can be easier to manage your time, your talent, and your treasury than it is to manage your relationships. I'll say it again. Quite often, it's easier to manage your time, your talent, and your treasury than it is to manage your relationships. Relationship stewardship requires a lot of effort, a lot of patience, a lot of understanding. It's true humanly speaking, and it's also true in our relationship to God. All human relationships are horizontal. Our relationship with God is the only vertical relationship we should have. So all relationships other than God occupy a horizontal plane. And there are some fundamental things that apply to both our relationship with God and our relationship with human beings, with people. So let me give you some, a subset of principles, truths with regard to relationship. We'll start in the human realm and then we'll translate that into our relationship with God. When you have a healthy relationship with God, you walk in peace, you walk in strength, you walk in confidence. You look at life differently. You deal with stress differently. The whole lens through which you see and understand and make sense of life and yourself, your own identity, is different when you have a healthy, strong relationship with God. So let me give you a subset of principles and then I'll go into those four pillars. I'll only be able to deal with one because we don't have the time, but at least I can lay some groundwork. So number one, and you know what? Let me give you the text because I don't want to think anyone to think that I don't know the Bible. <laughs> this text stirred me to understand a few words that are built into it. It's found in John chapter 17, beginning at verse 22. And I have been living in this 17th chapter of John for a few months now because it's so rich. Jesus is at the end of his ministry and he spent time with these disciples beginning at chapter 13, right through chapter 17. And he pours into them, preparing them to continue this mission, this calling 
that is so huge, so beyond them. So he had to instruct them on certain basic issues. So he begins by demonstrating the kind of humility that they should have one towards another by washing their feet in chapter 13. And then he talks about the vine and the branches so that they would understand that the success of their ministry would be their dependence on him. He introduces the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the fullness of joy. And throughout those chapters, he's, he's preparing these individuals, setting their minds for the future of the church and the ministry of God in the earth. So in chapter 17, he's closing it out in a very powerful prayer to the Father. And he begins to discuss those things that are most important to him personally, to the Father, and to these individuals who would take his message out into the future. He makes a distinction between them and the world. And he prays not that they should be taken out of the world, but that in the world they should be protected from the evil one. That they would not fall prey to the flesh or the devil or the influence of the world. This was his prayer. But he also talks about a unity that he desires for them, similar to the unity that he has with the Father. He says that they may be one, just as you and I are one. Let's go to verse 22, and we'll read it in the New King James Version. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Boy, we could unpack that but we can't tonight. That they may be one just as we are one. So he's playing, praying for relationship. He wants their relationship with each other and with the Father to mirror his own relationship with the Father and the relationship between he and the Father. He continues in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect, complete, whole, mature in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. And these are the words that really grip my heart over the last several months. And have loved them as you have loved me. Have loved them, and you have loved them just as you have loved me. So what he's praying here is that the love that God has for his children would be put on display to the world so that the world would be fully convinced of the message of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the light of Jesus that is in every human being because of the presence of Jesus when he comes into that person's life. Put that love on display. So the question is, what does that love look like? How do we identify it 
as God's love. And then we bring it down to a human level. How, how do we know if someone loves us? What does that look like? When someone says, I love you, what does that mean? Because there are certain things built into it that too often we assume an assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. So it caused me to explore this and consider what things are foundational to a solid, healthy relationship with God, but also in relationship to people. So I took the time to understand a little bit deeper four things, that's always four things, four things that are subset, part of the foundation. Number one, and these are not the four pillars. Number one, think about this, because we're talking about relationships here. All relationships are based on trust. All relationships are based on trust. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God, to be at one with God without faith. And as I shared with you, what is faith? It is absolute confidence in God's wisdom, God's power, and God's goodness. Absolute confidence beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's conviction. You can't be talked out of it. You can't be frightened out of it. You can't be threatened out of it. And whenever pressure comes on it, that faith grows stronger. So all relationships are based on trust. Trust is confidence in someone's character, ability, strength, and truth. So trust is foundational to every relationship. How can you have a healthy relationship with someone if you cannot trust them? And trust is extended to the limit of truth and no more. So when truth is absent and falsehood comes in, it breaks the trust. And the relationship becomes destabilized. Because now character is in question. Ability is in question. Strength is in question. Credibility is in question because it's all held together by truth. In America, we're having a challenge right now because the social, political, spiritual, and moral climate is challenging the trust that our nation has in its government. And the leadership is not making it easy because the very leadership is questioning the legitimacy of the government itself. 
different branches of the government that is supposed to work and be above and beyond any one administration is now being questioned. And what that does, it shakes the public trust. So if the people can't trust the government, then the relationship between the society and its government is shaken and destabilized. And the society does not function the way it was designed to function. Trust in governance is critical. And that's true in relationships. All relationships are based on trust. All relationships have expectations. I'm going to write. Can I write? So all relationships are based on what? Trust. Yeah. And that's why men and women going into considering a deeper relationship with each other, there is what is called a courting period, getting to know you. It begins with introduction. I shared with you, this with you years ago. In, introduction, then it moves to acquaintanceship, then it works and builds to uh, friendship, and then from friendship, it goes to a level of intimacy depending upon what kind of intimacy that represents. But it begins with introduction, so it has to go through a process relationship. And what's the purpose for that process? To do what? To build trust. To build trust. And that's why you take time in relationships, especially if you're thinking about long-term relationships, whether it's in marriage or in business or in some other occasion. We take time to build trust. Well, what is true in human relationship is true in our relationship with God. Sometimes, you know, often even, not sometimes, but quite often, it's easier for God to save you, and it takes longer for him to get you to trust him. So he has to take you through a process. And part of building that trust is how he loves you. And we'll look, if we can, at those elements under that heading of God loving you. So all relationships are, have expectations, and that's important because if we don't know what we expect from each other, we will be disappointed by each other because expectation, and I'm sorry, disappointment is never based upon what you find. It's always based upon what you expected to find. So we can go into relationships expecting certain things. And finding what we didn't expect. And the degree of disappointment is determined between the reality of the relationship and the ideal that you were expecting. And the greater the distance between those two things determines the degree of disappointment. And unfortunately, too many people know just enough about God to be disappointed in him. And often you can know just enough about a person to be disappointed in them. It's not until you sit down, spend time, 
and hear their story and get to know them, that the relationship changes. That's why the Apostle Paul said that I might know him in two ways. Number one, in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his suffering. So whenever you are going to get into a relationship with someone, especially if it's a love relationship, you need to sit down and have a conversation and say, what are your expectations of me in this relationship? It's true in relationships. It's true when you work for some company you want, or a boss. You want to know, what do you expect from me? What are the expectations? Because until those are clearly indicated, everyone's operating on assumption. And as I said to you, assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. How many, how many mistakes we make because we assume, and this is what we say, but I thought, and you fill in the blank. Right? And it's dangerous to operate on that if we're going to be good stewards of our time, our talent, and our treasury. Okay. What are your expectations? What do you expect from me? What should I expect from you? Are those expectations reasonable? Okay. It's true in relationships, personal relationships. It's true in your relationship with your job, the company that you work for. It's true of the church. When you come and join this spiritual family, this community of faith, and you identify with City Harvest Church, guess what? You have certain expectations of this church. And rightly so, the church, City Harvest Church, has and should have certain expectations of you as a member, as a part of this family. So there is a two-way right of expectation. You to the church and the church to you. All relationships are based on trust. All relationships have expectations. Hallelujah. An expectation is legitimate. It's great because in the spiritual realm, expectation sets the atmosphere for miracles. Because expectation fills you with anticipation. Expectation is what you're looking forward to in the relationship. It fuels the relationship. It excites the relationship. It opens the door for passion, creativity, innovation in the relationship. And when those expectations are not discussed or clearly articulated... The expectation can be set so high and unfairly and unreasonably that they're not met, which means the relationship is going to end in disappointment. In our relationship with God, we have certain expectations. Amen? Yeah. And the thing about it is too often those expectations can be unreasonable and unbiblical. And if we have unbiblical expectations of God, when those expectations are not met, we're going to be disappointed with God. Okay. 
It's like when Jesus finally gets to where Lazarus is, he's dead. And, and what does she say? You know, they've got Mary and Martha. What does she say? She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. You see? She had a certain expectation, right, about the relationship that they had, that Jesus would care enough that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he would have come right away. But he didn't. If you read the story in John 11, he didn't. In fact, he delayed long enough for Lazarus to die and be buried. And that didn't make sense. So when he finally gets there, she expresses her disappointment. She says, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He'd still be alive. And then evidently, Jesus reminds her of a conversation that they had. He said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that believeth and liveth shall never die. Love that King James language. So he was reminding her of something that he had already told her, but she wasn't convinced of it. It wasn't a conviction. And that's why I say these are things you have to be convinced of. Because if you're not convinced, then doubt can rush in. Circumstances and situations can affect you and influence you in such a way that you begin to question the relationship and question the character and credibility, even of God. So relationships are based on trust. Relationships have expectations. I need to write that one, right? I know you, you, you guys take great notes, so... Relationships also have intentions. Pastor Harry spoke about fear and, and love as a driving force. Relationships have intentions. And it's important that when you enter a relationship, you, you sit down and have that conversation. See? In fact, every relationship is almost an interview. You say, okay, can I trust you? What are your expectations? But now the third question is, what are your intentions? What outcome do you see from this relationship? What's the outcome that you see? Because if we don't have a shared outcome, we're going to be moving in different directions. And the relationship is doomed to fail from the beginning. Relationships have intentions. What are your intentions? Now, I had, I have seven sons. I didn't have any daughters. And I had someone ask me this crazy question. Why do you have seven sons? <laughs> Like I planned it that way. <laughs> and I said, simple. 
because I wanted a daughter. So if you, if at first you don't succeed, you keep trying seven times. And I'll forget when my, my youngest son, my last born son, when, when, when he was born, because I was, I, was, I was in the delivery room with my wife, Karen, and, and, and they, they, you know, I, I, I watched as, as they delivered the baby and held him up, and, and I looked at him, and I said, you're a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was afraid to tell my wife, Karen, <laughs> because this was, this was, you know, seven times. <laughs> And she was blaming me. <laughs> and here he was, this beautiful baby boy. And uh, so when, you know, because she had surgery, she had a cesarean section, so they were getting ready to, you know, roll her out so that she could recover. And I remember she was groggy. And, 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 and she looked at me like, and I said, baby's fine. <laughs> I left it there. Yeah. So I had seven sons. We had seven sons. We didn't have a daughter. But if I had a daughter and she grew up and some young man came calling, my daughter, I would take him through this message. I would say, this is my daughter. Can she trust you? Can I trust you? I would invite him to the house while I'm cleaning my samurai sword. <laughs> but I would ask, what are your intentions for my daughter? I want to know. Does this man have a sense of vision? What are his core values? Does he have a moral compass? Does he have all of those things because he is going to move into a position of authority and covering over my little girl? So now I have daughter-in-laws. So I hold my sons accountable. And my daughter-in-laws understand that. And believe me, they appreciate that protection and that covering. What are your intentions in this relationship? Number four, relationships have motivations. Back to what Pastor Ari said about driving force. What's your motivation? And in relationships, there are two motivations. Love or lust. Love or lust. You have that here in Singapore, right? Lust. 
you don't look sure. You've learned over time, I'm sure this is familiar to you, these words, but love is defined as the desire to benefit the one loved at the expense of self. So love is sacrificial, love is redemptive, love is unconditional. True love, we're talking about agape love, the supernatural, God kind of love, the love that ties together all other kinds of love. In America, in, in, in English language, actually, we only have one word, L-O-V-E. So you have to understand its context in order to understand how the word is being used. But beautifully in Scripture, in the Greek language, all right, there are four words that describe love. We're not going to break them down, but they are eros, philia, or phileo, storge. Those are the three loves. And, of course, there's agape love, which is divine love that Jesus talked about and highlighted. See? So, what's your motivation? Does that person love you or do they lust you? Because if they lust you, then they only desire to benefit themselves at your expense. Love desires to give. Lust desires to get. So instead of lust being like love, sacrificial, lust is selfish. So I have just given you all that you need to interview anybody <laughs> who would like a relationship with you. I was hoping that you would appreciate that, so the hand clap really makes a difference for me. That's really, really important. Not all human relationships, I'm going to go back to the text, are successful. Not all human relationships are successful. And what I mean by that is that they don't always produce the intended or even desired outcome. And that's where disappointment comes in. How many of you have ever been disappointed by a relationship? Yeah. Oh, gosh, only a few of you. <laughs> I have to find out your secret. Let's meet after service, please. <laughs> but all human relationships don't always have a favorable outcome or achieve the expected end or result. That's the reality of human nature. You know, you've got to feel your way to see if the chemistry is there, see? If, it, if it'll work. That's why it takes time to establish relationships. And part of your stewardship responsibility over relationships uh, is, is to understand this and apply it. See? So, with that said, your relationship with God is critical. It's critical. You don't have to interview God. Some Christians do. You don't interview God. You get to know God 
you get to understand his nature. Theologically, there are several attributes of God. We talk about God being omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere present. But when it comes to his essential attributes, his nature by which we can understand how to relate to him, God's nature is expressed in three ways. God is love, God is life, and God is light. I'll say it again. The essential nature of God. God is love, God is life, and God is light. Illumination, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, love, redemptively, sacrificially, unconditionally, life, vibrancy, productivity, multiplication. And why is this important? Because the nature of someone is their inherent character that influences and governs their words, thoughts, motives, actions, and attitudes. So if you understand someone's nature, you know whether you can trust them, you know what their expectations are, you know what their intentions are, and you know what their motivations are. And God has made all of those things clear in his word, in the scripture, in the Bible. So once we know God's nature, once we understand that God is love, that God is life, and that God is light, we can now understand and set our expectations as to how God will respond. He's always going to respond in love, in life, and in light. No matter what. Even in negative situations, how is God going to respond? With love, life, and light. And that's important that you understand that nature. See, too often Christians don't understand the nature of God, especially since the Bible tends to anthropomorphize God in such a way that we attribute to him human characteristics that can confuse us. But anytime there's an anthropomorphization of God, that's a long word, it simply means that when you read, like in the Old Testament, God was grieved, God became angry, it repented God, God was jealous, okay? God doesn't have to repent of anything. He doesn't change his mind because he doesn't go through a process to make a decision. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything already. So if you know everything already, you don't have to go through a process of moving from one level of knowledge or degree of knowledge to another. He's alpha and omega. God, God, God is impassable in that he doesn't go through a range of emotions in reaction to what we do or what we say. Because if God reacted emotionally to what we do and what we say, then God is dependent, codependent on us. And our emotional state can influence God. And if that's true and he's codependent, he's no longer God. God has nothing to be jealous of. What? 
do you have to be jealous of when you're fully secure in yourself and you've got everything? But we read these words in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, words of grief, etc., because what we're doing is anthropomorphizing God. In other words, we are attributing human qualities to him to help us understand him by expressing him if he were human. But it doesn't mean that God gets jealous. He's not human. Hello? God is not human. See? But if you don't understand that, you read the Old Testament, you know, God, God was jealous, God got angry, you know, you, you think, oh, God can get angry with me, God can be jealous of me, and, and have to be... No! God is not schizophrenic, he's not very stable. Remember, he said, I'm alpha and omega, beginning and the end, so he doesn't have to arrive anywhere. But we do that in life. How many know Mickey Mouse is not human? (laughs) But we ascribe human characteristics to Mickey, right, and Goofy. There's a wonderful book, very short children's book, but packed with such depth. And I have to have my wife Karen read it all the time because she tends to be an enabler. Is this being recorded? <laughs> because she has a big heart. The name of the book is called The Giving Tree. And it's a great book for you to read. All right? And in the book, The tree is anthropomorphized. The tree is given human characteristics, but it's a tree. We anthropomorphize throughout our cultures. We give, we ascribe human characteristics to things that we know are not human. But what we're saying is if they were human, this is how they would feel. So when we do that to God, we're saying if God were human, he would be jealous. He would be grieved. Amen? But God doesn't go through all of that. Hallelujah. So when we know the nature of God, and we're convinced of that nature, then we can know what to expect from God. God is love, God is life, and God is light. So no matter what the situation or circumstance in your relationship with God, how is he going to respond? He's going to respond in love, He's going to respond with life. He's not going to speak death to it. Jesus said, I've not come to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief does that. I've come that you might have what? Life. And that you might have it more abundantly. So God is going to respond out of his nature. He's going to respond out of what? Love, life, and light. Well, you say, well, why did he do some of the things that he did in the Old Testament? Because there's another aspect of God called justice. And boy, we would need some time to talk about that. Because we have our own idea of what justice is. Get him back. <laughs> Vengeance is not justice. Vengeance is not justice. There's a lot for us to learn about God. But essentially, I want you to get those three things. God is what? Come on, say it. God is what? Love. God is life. And God is light. So when you are in a situation and you're asking God, you know, you're you're interacting and and 
you know, drawing from the relationship with God, he's going to respond in what way? Love. He's going to love you through it. Right? He's going to love you through it. And he's going to pour life into the situation. Right? And thirdly, you're going to learn something from it. He's going to bring light. He's going to illuminate the situation so you learn something from it. So now, what did we just do? Based upon establishing God's essential nature, you can now set your expectation. Now, the devil will come and try to convince you that God is not love, that God is not life, that God is not light. He did it in the garden when he convinced Eve that God was holding out on her. Holding back. Which means that God is not credible, that you can't trust him. That's what the devil was saying. And that's what he does to us. The battle is in the mind. The battle for faith. And that's why I say faith is absolute confidence. You can't be negotiated out of it. It's unchangeable, and it grows stronger under pressure. When the devil pressured Job, what did he get? Job worshipped. That's exactly what the devil should get out of you. Every time he puts the pressure on you, you just start worshiping. Hallelujah, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are love. You are life. You are life. Devil doesn't know what to do with that. I just finished the introduction. Now, let me give you those four pillars. Am I out of time? No. How do you all know that? <laughs> let me give you those four pillars. And we're going to talk about the first pillar. Okay? And these are four things that you must be convinced of. A pillar is a foundation. It is a, it is a support for whatever you build on top. So the pillar is foundational to the superstructure. And these are four things you must be convinced of. You can't waver. You can't be in doubt. You have to have absolute confidence in. And it comes from God's wisdom, his power, and his goodness. Are you ready? Number one. And this may sound simple, but when we unpack it, you'll realize... And it's not as simple as you may think. Number one, this is big, this is big. God loves you. That's where it starts. Starts right there. The others mean nothing if you don't get that one. You've got to be convinced of that. If you doubt it, your relationship, hallelujah. Boy, I feel the presence. I got goosebumps. I got to feel the presence of God. Listen, if you doubt that, your relationship with him is going to be shaky. You can't build trust if you're not sure that you are loved. Because love is the motivation. Love sets the expectation. Love guides the intentions. Love becomes the basis for trust. So number one, God loves you. Hallelujah. In the book, I unpack what that means. 
Number two, God created you for a purpose. God created you for a purpose. God created you for a purpose. You've got to be convinced of that. Otherwise, you'll wonder, why am I here? What am I doing? What's my destiny? What's my value? What's my identity? What's my purpose? No. And you get caught up in the maze of that. In the book, I discuss what purpose is. You're going to want to buy that book. I got my editors working. I got everybody working because I'm pushing to get it out. So number one, God loves you. Number two, God created you for a purpose. Number three, God designed you for achievement and fulfillment. God designed you. That's why you hunger for achievement. That's why you hunger for fulfillment because you've been designed for it. It is your design. God made you that way. It's part of who you are, especially in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So God loves you. God created you for a purpose. God designed you for achievement and fulfillment. And number four, God believes in you. And I will tell you, all it takes is one person, the right person to believe in you, and it can change your life. There's some incredibly talented people, gifted people, and all they need is someone to believe in them. And then they will rise to the occasion, release those gifts, release that talent. Release the creativity, ingenuity, innovation that's built into them because we're made in the image of God, Elohim, who's the creator God. So God's first introduction of himself was in his creative identity as Elohim. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, Elohim. He comes on the scene creatively. Hallelujah. And we're made in his image. And one of his communicable attributes is his creativity. So just like God is creative, guess what? We are creative. God believes in you. God believes in you. You know, America, on our money we have, in God we trust. And we get that. Believe in God. Have faith in God. Trust God. But how about this? God believes in you. And there are reasons that I say that. He's invested in you in so many ways. And in the book, I talk about personal experiences and, and unpack that and understand how and why we can make that statement with absolute confidence. God believes in me? Yes. Because he knows that that Understanding is what inspires you to rise up, to achieve, to accomplish, to be who he's designed you to be, to fulfill your purpose and live and walk and love life and light. Four things you must be convinced of 
in order to have a healthy relationship with God. Number one, talk back to me. Number one, God loves you. Number two, God created you for a purpose. Number three, God designed you for achievement and fulfillment. Number four, God believes in you. Come on, let's personalize it. Come on, you ready? Come on, say it. God loves me. Come on, say it. God loves me. God created me for a purpose. God designed me for fulfillment and achievement. God believes in me. Oh, that's good. That is so good. We're taking this book and we're going to make it foundational reading for everyone that comes to join our church. Because once they grasp these four things, once they're convinced of them, I know that they're going to function in the community of the church, in the life of the church, in our spiritual family in a healthy way. But if they're not convinced of these four things, they're not going to function in a healthy way. Because wars and conflict do not begin externally, they begin internally. James chapter 4, where do wars and fightings come from among you? Don't they come even from within your own members that are at war with each other? So there is the internal life of the Christian, and then there's the external life of the Christian. How what's going on inside of us is expressed and lived out, translated externally. So there are four things you need to be convinced of. There are four pillars of a blessed life. Because I will tell you, once you're convinced that God loves you, that he created you for a purpose, that he designed you for uh, achievement and fulfillment, and that he believes in you, you are going to have a blessed life. I love you, City Harvest. So good to be back with you. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand and give God some praise, some thanksgiving. Did you get a word tonight? Come on, let's give him praise. Amen. How many of you are just so blessed? I know we know that God loves us, but tonight, to doctor, I believe that God wants us to know in our heart, in our spirit, without a shadow of doubt, that He loves us. The Father loves us. Jesus loves us. And He has created you and I for a great purpose for your life, for your family, for this generation. And He has created us for fulfillment. He has created us for achievement. We are made to be the head. How many of you believe that we are made to be the head? We are made to go above. We are made to conquer. And the best part of it is God believes in us. He believes in our potential because He's the one that has put that potential in us. He believes in our motivation. He believes in our plan. And the Bible says that God has plans for us. Plans to prosper us, not to harm us. 
plans to give us a future and hope. So why don't we just lift up our hands tonight? Open up your hearts. I don't know what the Word has spoken to you. I don't know what your family has spoken to you. I don't know what your situation has shouted at you. I don't know what you have gone through. I don't know what the devil has lied to you. But tonight, the voice of God is above all this. And He is saying to you that He loves you. He loves you. He believes in you. Your life is going to be full of fulfillment and achievement because you are making His likeness and His image. Whatever that you are going through, tonight we have learned about trust. We can absolute faith. Jesus come into your heart 
because we can have absolute faith in the goodness of God. He is our good, good Father. Unite our hearts, O oh God, with yours. Give us a revelation of your love toward us. Wherever you are standing, why don't you just, in your own way, in your own language, just talk to God right now. Talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, give me a revelation of your love for me. I don't want to just know it in my head, but I want to know it in my heart without a shadow of doubt that I am loved by you, accepted by you, that you believe in me. Kiriya Ramashida la la bagariya Ramashate. Kiriya Ramashida la la bagariya Ramashate. Kiriya Ramashida la bagariya Ramashida la la bagariya. Kiriya Ramashida la 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 bagariya Ramashida la la bagariya Ramashate. Kiriya Ramashida bahad. The more I seek you, Lord. The more I seek you. God really wants us to shut off the voice of the enemy, the voice, maybe even from ourselves, just telling us each day that we are defeated, that we are accident, that we don't know why, we don't even know why we are here, but that's the furthest from the truth. 
tonight. God wants to remind us again and again and again and again that we are the apple of His eyes, that He has created us for just this one purpose, to love us, to be loved by Him, and to love Him back. So why don't we just respond to God? If He doesn't want to love us, He doesn't need to make us. But He has made you and I standing here on holy ground in this great heart, in this great house, just so that you know that He loves you. He has created you to love you, to be loved by Him, to be enjoyed by Him, so that you can love Him back, that you can find your purpose, your destiny, your calling in Him. That as you place your hand, City Harvest Church, as you place your life in His hand, that you will find your divine purpose, your divine calling in Him. That even as you walk out the calling of God in your life, that you have so much fulfillment. With every energy that you have in your heart, with every belief that you have, I want you to say it sincerely, meaning every word that you are about to pray. And say, God, I believe that you love me. That you have created me to love me. And God, I believe that you have created me for a divine purpose. To fulfill, a destiny to fulfill a destiny that only I can fulfill. You make me unique for a special calling. Even before I was forming my mother's womb, you set me apart. And Lord, even as I walk in obedience, surrendering my life to you, I will find my fulfillment and a sense of achievement in you. And the plans that you have for me, even as I faithfully live it out, I will see that you believe in every plan in my life. You believe in me. You believe in me. You believe in me. 
against all odds, you believe in me. Even with all my shortcoming, you believe in me. Jesus, you believe in me. And lift up your hands right now. Live it up, live it up. and believe that Jesus loves you, that the Father loves you, that your walk with Him will not be shaky. It doesn't matter what mountains are standing in front of you. It doesn't matter what situation that you are in. You always can trust in the wisdom of God, the power of God that's at work in you. Amen? You can always trust in His goodness because at the end of the day, at the end of the days, His providence will speak. And you will see the favor of God in your life. I'm so blessed. And Dr. Bernard mentioned that this is the first part of the teaching. So I really, really want to encourage you that if you can make time to be here tomorrow, let's get our part two. How many of you want to get your part two? Amen. Amen. The meeting has just ended. Fellowship has just begun. Walk out with your head held high because you are loved by the Father. You are the beloved of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And that's the end of this week's podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us at connect at chc.org.sg.